Hi guys, welcome back to the What About podcast. I'm Owen and hopefully if you're a regular listener, you know the format by now. I'm really excited to be continuing our series on Redeemed Director's Cut today where we're going to be covering some of the areas we didn't get around to in our most recent sermon series on the life of Moses. The next few episodes are all going to be about the law that is given to Israel by God through multiple books of the Pentateuch. We're going to be dividing the conversation over three episodes and dividing the law into three categories by what is often called the threefold division of the law, which distributes the whole law into the moral, ceremonial and the civil or judicial law. Today, I'm really blessed to be joined by Ken Matthews and Nay Brown, and we're going to be chatting about the ceremonial laws. They concern the ceremonies or rites about the sacred things to be observed by the people of God in the nation of Israel. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks for having us. As usual, it'd be great to just hear a bit from you guys about yourselves. Maybe you could introduce yourselves to people who are listening in. Ken, do you want to kick us off? Okay, I'm Ken. I've been married to Sue for some 45 years. She does deserve a medal. I've got five children. It's 11, I think, grandchildren. Twelfth uh, one is on the way. And we believe in family and we're part of Christchurch. We moved here at the beginning of June and we're loving it. Amazing, amazing. Nay. Yeah, nay. I'm married to Ben, been at Christchurch for 15 or so years which is crazy. Studied at Moorlands with Owen, which is great. And yeah, currently work for the Keys Project that's doing admin work, supporting people to find freedom from addiction through ultimately freedom in Jesus. Incredible. Wonderful. Incredible. So it's great to be able to chat about this topic with you guys today. And I know both of you are very passionate about about Jesus and about the freedom that he brings both in terms of, and obviously, Nay, professionally, you obviously have that walk that you do with people mm-hmm. through addiction. And Ken, I know obviously that's a as a pastor for many years, seeing that freedom of people through the the grace of of Jesus is is a big part of both of your lives. And so it's wonderful to be able to talk and have that lens when we approach the subject of holiness and ceremonial law, because I think it is incredibly important. Just to kick us off, let's start sort of basics. Let's work it out. What is the law when we talk about when it comes to the Old Testament? What is that for maybe someone who's listening and going, actually, I've never heard of this law before. Maybe I'm new to Christianity. Nate, do you want to kick us off? When you hear the law, what's what's going on in your brain? So I think there's a a few different kind of ways that the law could be mentioned, particularly in the Bible. They talk about the law as in the first five books of the Bible, which were traditionally said to be written by Moses, which goes, yeah, Genesis all the way through to and when the people went to the, the promised land. But there's also the more specific where you can look at actually it's just the books that are teaching, it's just the writing of those books that are about how to live and the instructions that God gives for his people, for Israel, for when they enter the promised land and they're living as the nation that God's made them. So yeah, can have a broad sense of the law being those books the Bible talks about often in scripture as the law and the prophets being the whole of the Old Testament, but more specifically being the law as in the commandments given to the people of God. Amazing. Yes. Can anything to add? Yes, as, as a brilliant name. And, and there, of course, they were written with the finger of God onto stone tablets. So they came from God. They weren't copied from another nation or you know, made up to try and organise the people, they were inspired. And I, I, I find, as a young Christian, I found, you know, if you tried to read through the Bible and you got to the book of Leviticus, you'd think, oh, I'm stuck now. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, Leviticus is just as inspired as, 
as Luke, mm. for example. Mm. And I, I heard an expression about Jesus that I, I really liked. It said that the, the Old Testament and the law especially was the Bible that Jesus loved. I thought that was a great way mm. of putting it. That's mm. the Bible that Jesus used and that the apostles used and the early disciples used because they didn't have a New Testament. Yeah. Mm. That, was their, that was their great book. Mm. And then during the temptations, you look at Jesus in the temptations in the wilderness and it's obvious when you look at how he answers the, the questions that are given to him that he was studying the law. Mm. He was studying Deuteronomy chapter 6 to 8 because all his quotes are from those chapters. And, and when he's going around teaching, so obviously he's called rabbi, he is a teacher. He's going into the synagogues, unpacking the laws and the prophets. That's what he's yes. doing. That's yes. what he's teaching. Through. And through those passages, he's showing himself. He's showing the coming kingdom of God in That's a right. new and exciting way through the, the covenant that will come through his, his death and resurrection. But it's all based on, mm. on those words, which, yeah, I think you're right. A lot of people forget. And, and when we... I've heard it. I've heard a story of someone who once, on I think it was the first day of, of Bible college, came in with a, a Bible that had the Old Testament ripped out because he'd said, "Oh, we don't need that anymore." Wow! And I just think that's so wow. so scary and so it dangerous. Is. Yeah, that is to to come into that. But let's nail in then to obviously the neighbors when she said about the law being the first five books of the Bible. It's very true. The word Torah for those first five books meaning law. Um, but when we we're just going to focus in a little bit on the law that's given to Moses and onwards. So the, the second giving of the law in Deuteronomy and then the, the Levitical law that then is given as further. Why did God give this specific law to Israel? Obviously, Ken said, you, you said it's a new law. It's not pilfered from other places. It's That's this right. brand new law. Why, why is it important that God gives his law to his people? Why does that matter? Well, I think for me, the first thing I'd say is that this people had gone from being 70 people to a nation of a couple of million people in the land of Egypt, not with the law, without the law, without. So if you like, the, a lot of the guidance and observations they were making were based in a pagan country, which had many gods and many practices, which our God just finds abhorrent and they needed a totally new sort of prescription of this is how people who are meant to represent God's nature should live. And, and so they needed it right down to the detail of how to cut your beard or what clothes you should be wearing because this was going to define them as a nation to be different from the nation they'd come out of and multiplied in to be that distinct nation of God. And, and the law covers all aspects, not only the moral aspect, but also, as we said earlier, the ceremonial aspect. And right down to how to plant their crops, what clothes to wear, how, to, how they should be looking, how they should be behaving in their marriages and, and with their children. And uh, all that is covered in, in the law. Uh, how to be the distinct people of God that shine like a light amongst the nations. Yeah, if you think about it, they are new people that the intention was is when they entered the promised land that God was going to give them, they were going to clean out everything that had gone yes. that had been there before yes. and be a completely new people. If you think about what would be needed to set up a new country and from completely from scratch, there is you do need that level of detail because God wanted it to be a fresh start completely yes. and not in the same way with the same ruling so that Israel would have been what's called a theocracy. It was ruled by God's law, not by a king or by human 
that set that set what the regulations should be and how they should live and all of that system it was put in place specifically by god for that purpose of he was going to be the one that was controlling it and in and he was the one that was going to set the standard for how they should live in this new nation which is something that is really different than anything that we would un- understand in terms of government and law giving yeah. ourselves but actually yeah. that's god's intention was for it to be completely ruled by him now that's that's brilliant, I think, and uh, what you were saying there, because uh, it, it is distinct from the sort of judicial law that we have as a country. There is a judicial law part to it, but a huge part of it is how to live, isn't it? Rather than, well, the, the judicial part. And, uh, and to me, it's interesting what the word means for ceremonial law, that the, that the Hebrew means the customs of the nation. Mm. That's this literal translation, the custom of the nation. So it's their cultural identity actually and i find this an exciting subject in a way because because the first christians and, and jesus himself he was culturally a jew mm. and he was culturally living in that system and uh, that's really quite amazing to think about that isn't it that that he reflected that this system that we're talking about today is what he reflected that's the cultural national practices which he was representing he was born into that he was brought up in that and we might find that quite shocking if we really considered who Jesus is. Mm. And, and as Jesus not only grew up within an awareness of that, he also grew up in a society where they longed for what yes. was. Yes. And I think a lot of us sort of sometimes forget yes. that and, and view it as sort of Jesus had, had moved on, he saw the light, and he then moved <laughs> us all towards it. But actually, you know, Jesus looks back to the holiness the holy law of god given and actually he says you know not uh, an iota yes, will be right. changed there'll be mm. f- this fulfillment will come through and you know it's not going to look like it did yes. however there's there is something beautiful and important in the way that god has led his people on this journey and that that's another thing as well that the law isn't just it's not like in i suppose other religions where you think about sort of like mormonism where it's it's one you know there was there was golden plates and he copied the one thing actually this is the law is given over time as god walks with his people and is in response to actually his people's sinful lives and him drawing them close to him each time and being like no this is what it looks like to live holy lives this is what it looks like Mm. to if you want to live according to my standards this is what it's going to look like when they can't live up to that it points ever more to the grace that is needed and the the mercy that is needed through the cross of christ obviously sorry i'm jumping ahead you are Um, are and uh, i know i shouldn't be the one who jumps ahead but it is a very exciting topic so yeah we've we've so the law in general spoken to in that in terms of then the ceremonial laws what do we mean by ceremonial laws i think my instinctive kind of thought when you think about that is the kind of practices of this is how you worship this is the sacrifices and the offerings that you give and all of these yes. different things but actually there is it is so much more than that it comes to not just instructions for worship and sacrifices and offerings but the celebrations and the festivals yes. that they would have and yes. um the instructions for the priests and the, the people of god in, in leviticus yes and it's got such a wider scope than just these is what you do in your religious practice but it's a cleanliness and uncleanliness and just the tabernacle and the detail that goes into i think that often gets forgotten as well is the instructions on the building of the tabernacle that is so masterfully created and so specifically given as the place that they will worship that's all covered under that ceremonial aspect of the law 
That's right, it is. It is, yes. And, and, and the washings, you know, trying to make a people that, like us, cannot keep the law to the letter, how to make it possible for them to approach God through the washings and their, and their preparation. And it's very meticulous about all the different washings and then about honouring God with our possessions, the things that God blesses us with, you know, the first fruits of your land, you offer them to God. So it's, it's really quite prescriptive in that way to quite a lot of detail. Mm. I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head with, from my understanding, I suppose, uh, would be that it's what do we do that means that we can come before a holy God and be in his presence, be his people, be in relationship with him. That is, I suppose, when I think about summing up the ceremonial law, there are probably more fancy <laughs> definitions, but in terms of basic brass tacks, like it is a holy God and a sinful people. And what does it look like for one to say i adore you and i love you and that's god to his people and then his people to go actually i love you and adore you and i want to reflect you and that to be possible and so when we look at the law we don't go this one is this this one is this because it's all wrapped up in in that together yes and there's an aspect that comes in there too when i think that the fear of god Mm. i know it's not a i know it's not a very welcome expression nowadays but actually our god is to be feared too and, um, and that is built into the ceremonial law, that you can't just swan into God's presence. You actually, you do need a mediator, you do need an intercessor, you do need an atonement, you do need some way of taking away your inadequacy and inability to stand before God. Something's got to come in and take that away. So there's that great fear of God. And it's interesting for me, working in other cultures, where they've had those practices in their previous religions, Mm. and then they become Christians. The fear of God is more an issue for them Mm. than in the West. We talk much about the love of God. God is much more fluffy in the West. (laughs) In the the East, he's much more frightening. Mm. And I actually think that neither of us are right there's or maybe both of us are right that actually you do need both aspects built into how we worship god and how we become disciples of jesus built into that must be because it's the same god inspiring these ceremonial laws who inspired the gospel that gives us access to god yeah i was gonna say is you think of the law which um, i had described is of the ceremonial law as a physical representation of the holiness of god yes and I don't think we have that physical representation. We don't see what that looks like. You think of the holiness of God in the way that we talk about it, almost just quite an abstract concept that we can't quite describe. Mm-hmm. We don't quite know how right. to obtain. Right. But this was a way of putting it into some physical practice or representation that mm-hmm. we could see it. And not, seeing as we don't do those practices anymore, we don't necessarily see God's holiness in that like really clear that is way. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's why there's we often lose that fear of God. Yes, I think I think that's really that's a really nice way of putting it. Actually, in terms of and and in terms of Romans three, that's sort of what Paul communicates as well, isn't it? That the law was there to give us a knowledge of sin. The law was there to yes. say you can't live up to this right. if you want to try and be holy. If you want to try and live a holy life. This is this is the smallest part of what it looks like, and you can't do that. And I think a that's a really lovely way of physical what the physical description of the holiness of God. I I really like that a lot. And I think what you said, Ken, is is really interesting as well because when we 
draw all these things together even though as humans we can't see the full character of god and we will never see the full character of god we also need to be careful that in doing so we don't have a a lax approach of that and so go well we're not gonna do that so we let things like the fear of god or even the love of god fall by and try and compare god to things that we see in our world and so we do end up with then either you know a, a fluffy god who is not holy and fearful <laughs> or in in if you come from a tribal background you know fear of ancestors mm. and things like that yes. petty a petty yeah. god who's going to come and you know if you step out of yes. line going to come and deal with you you know that is not right either and no. and so we have to try and i think that's that's why god gives us his scripture so that we it shows who he is and that he is so much more than we can ever think of it's really interesting that when we first went to the Tapoza, the Tapoza are a people group in South Sudan, and they're Nilotic. In other words, they, they migrated down for the Upper Nile in their history. So actually, some of the stories of Moses and the first five books of the Bible, they know them. It's in there. They've told them through the generations over all those thousands of years. So we went to visit a man who is God-fearing, a guy called Laloup, and uh, and his son, Joseph, who you know, you've met Joseph. Joseph was coming home to visit his dad. And we saw what happened. Before Joseph could come into the village, which has a gate in it, you have to enter through the gate, all the rest is thorned, thorned hedges. Before he could come through, they took an animal, they cut the animal in half, they put the two halves either side of the gate they took the contents of the animal the blood and things and the intestines and they draped them and smeared them on joseph before he could enter the village i was astounded yeah. at that sort of mix of what happened to abraham yeah. when he approached god and some of this ceremonial law that we're talking yeah. about that he needed and when i asked Laloup about it Laloup, jeremiah Laloup said well he needs washing because he's been out there in the world he's coming back here who knows what he's bringing back into our village so we want to make sure that he's washed spiritually emotionally physically before he he comes into here and i didn't say to him well we might have been doing even worse things (laughs) 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 i didn't that would go down well but he's receiving his son back Mm. i was astounded that over the thousands of years They'd still got that ingrained in their culture. Yeah, that ceremonial cleansing yeah. needed yeah. and in practice today. Wow. And one of the things about the law is remember the poor. You remember the, the apostles after their Acts 15, you know, the first sort of meeting of the, all the leaders to the first council, decide what to do about circumcision and the law and the festivals, you know, for new believers coming from the Gentile non-Jewish mm. backgrounds is they say only remember the poor yeah you've got to remember the poor and amongst the Taposa somehow their god Nyakuj has taught them over the thousands of years remember the poor so when Daniel arrives they say we can't do any harm to Daniel in fact you were protected because you're with Daniel we have to care for Daniel and look after him because yeah. it's, it's just terrible for us. Our God, Nakuj, would be very upset if we do anything bad to Daniel. But they still got the mm. nature yeah. of God that was in the law in their culture. Mm. Isn't that interesting? That's beautiful. Mm. I think it's not to kind of skip ahead, but actually that is still, those principles, they are still so key to part of God's character that actually, you know, in the New Testament, if we're going to, before we come to take communion and things like that, that actually there are, if yes. we have issues of sin or, or quarrels with, with 
instructed to go and resolve those things to be repentant right. to right. that actually that nature of we still do need to have that yes. consciousness of our mm. own sinfulness before we enter into the presence of God and not that we have to or that we're stop but actually because that is part of recognizing who god is and his holiness is that it might not be as dramatic as yes as it yeah. might be in but the past but yeah mm. it's the same heart it is and that it it's is. a it's a community thing it's not just a one person right. thing right. Yeah. if if the whole community the whole community is affected by that yes. in in the same way that if he had come in and they would have seen it actually if he'd come into the community yeah. and had not been clean but in the same way that if we have allow disunity in the church and we go and we just take communion yes. and we don't care about right. disunity in the church when we do so we are saying that something that is meant to be holy and beautiful because god has ordained it to be so and we are as a community we are showing of ourselves to not be what god wants us to be it's not just a oh i it's it's between me and god i'm good yeah. and i think that's how we've fallen as well in the west is so often we view are i suppose the ceremonial rites that we would see as as very personal but actually they're not um, communal. they're communal yeah. and they take a wider stance in the community than i think we allowed them to absolutely in our minds hmm. amazing so we've we've mentioned about ceremonial laws in there simple question i suppose what does it look like for us to say we believe that God is still holy and just and all of those things that he was in the Old Testament, do we still do the same things? Because we needed to, they needed to, so surely we need to, right? Right. Well, some of them, most of them, are the ceremonial law I'm talking about mm, now, yeah. not the moral law. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, most of the ceremonial law define the customs of a nation. Mm. And I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm not Jewish, in fact. That isn't my heritage, so, so actually, there's a sense in which it doesn't apply to me in, in my approach to God. They were God's chosen people. So undoubtedly, it's a bigger question for them. Actually, when a person becomes a Christian as a Jewish person, what do they do about the mm. ceremonial law? Because some of those customs are their identity as a nation. But I think there's also the aspect to me, I, I can't just give a straight answer, yeah, of course, we just abandon them all, because actually if you, if you take, for example, the feasts, the feasts, Jesus went to all those feasts, and Jesus defined himself in those feasts. Take, if you take the Feast of Tabernacles, for example, uh, you find that Jesus in John chapter 7, at that, it's at that feast that he stands up and cries out in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, mm. let him come to me and drink. So he showed the end, he showed what it was foreshadowing, that it was actually pointing to him. He's the one to come to, to drink. And then the next morning, when, you know, at that festival, on the last day of that festival, they took lights into the temple and lit up the temple. And while the lights are still burning the next morning, Jesus is declaring, I am the light of the world. Mm. So saying about the Feast of the Tabernacles, you know, this is for all nations. That's the whole point of this. It's prophetic. Mm. These festivals, they're, they're actually prophetic about a future age. Mm. And I think there's still more fulfillment, for example, in the Feast of the Tabernacles. Will Jesus return during the Feast of the Tabernacles? Because it's also the final harvest. That's what the feast is about. Pentecost is about the first harvest, which took place at Pentecost. But Tabernacles is about the final harvest, the final ingathering. 
before Jesus' return. That's interesting to think about that, that there's still a prophetic element in the Feast of the Tabernacles that's still to be fulfilled when Jesus returns and gathers all the nations. So the answer is, yes, for many of these things that are national identity, yeah, I can see that they don't apply to us. And some of it has been totally fulfilled in Christ. But actually, some of it is still to come prophetically in the future. That would be my my answer to that. That's that's really interesting. I, I suppose I hadn't... Did expect, did I didn't expect that specifically. <laughs> no, I didn't expect it like that. And actually, it was when you said that about the, the lights in the temple and then Jesus saying being the light of the world, and it just brought to mind, I suppose, in, in Revelation where the seven churches are the, the, the lampstands. That's it, that's it. And yes. that sense that's of light being yes. now yeah. a prophetic thing of, of Christ in us. Yes. And that doesn't mean that we our calendars work in that way however it does mean that our lives work in yes. in a changed way because yes. of what jesus has done love I, I, i'm glad that you said that ken because that's really made my day yes. that's really yeah. interesting that's yes. really interesting yeah. and obviously we don't i wouldn't personally i think stand up and teach that jesus is going to return at the tabernacle, no. the thing of tabernacle. No. i don't think that's but we don't might. see that <laughs> well we don't see that explicitly stated in scripture so it's it's extra biblical and it doesn't yes, mean it's non-biblical yes. yes but it doesn't mean that it's yes. scriptural that we teach in that way but i do think it's very interesting and yes. I, if he does then we'll have an amazing chat about it in eternity yeah yeah nay. yeah a lot of kind of it comes a lot of people come down to how you differentiate what is ceremonial moral judicial right. law mm. right. as to whether or not they still stand that is it the principle of it that makes it one or the other category or is it the you know how it's found one interesting like example of that i think is the sabbath which is in the ten commandments but it is a ceremonial law it's about Mm. worship and and do we say or i would personally say that actually the ten commandments being as they were given specifically to are the bits of the law that are to be upheld to an extent summarizing as jesus said by love the lord your god and love your neighbor as a overarching principle of the ten commandments but so sabbath being something that is ceremonial but because it was given it's yeah and you know carved into stone by moses in that way from that the rest of the law is kind of expanded on and and given it all comes back to the ten commandments so that would be something ceremonial that we do still practice we do still have a day of, of celebrating god of of stop work i think it's one of the great things about our country that we still have right. sundays as a, right. a day where there is rest expected and, and things like that that absolutely i don't think we it's a have to we are sinning necessarily if right. we do things on the first day of the week but it is something a principle that we still hold on to definitely as even though it is ceremonial whereas a lot of people would say all the ceremonial things were all fulfilled in jesus and therefore we don't have to do any of them if that makes sense that is brilliant you bringing that up now. That's brilliant. The Sabbath is such a good example because it's interesting that God followed the Sabbath mm. in the creation mm. before anything had been given. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, he rested from his, his labours. So he set a pattern. Yeah. And I have found in my life, I mean, this is now emotionally, physically, mentally, I have found in my life, the day that I realised that the day off resting from labor is a gift from god to us my life changed my family life changed i would even go as far to say i think 
my kids had the op- more opportunity to respond to Christ because I started to sh- see that Sundays I was flat out. I needed to take Saturdays, take no commitments on the Saturday yeah. and take Saturday as a Sabbath and rest from my labours and just trust God for all the unfixed problems and yeah. just say, you know, I'm not really thinking I'm the answer to everybody's problem here. So God is, so I can, t- I can rest from my labours for a day. Because actually, it's ultimately down to whether God works in people's lives. So I, it's okay for me to do that. And, uh, and it meant then I'm obeying that principle. Because behind that specific law, there's a principle. To me, when you're trying to abstract from the law, what is there for us today? I, I look at the specific thing that's said. Then I look at what is the principle here? Well, I've got to learn to trust God is my principle <laughs> for these things I think I've got to fix. Yeah. And, then, and, and behind that is actually the character of God. Mm. So it's trying to abstract from each of these ceremonial laws and these festivals and feasts. And the Sabbath is a brilliant one, actually, to, to mention. What's God trying to get over to the people in this ceremonial law? I think it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because we how we do that and i think it's to a certain extent i i think that no one apart from jesus has ever managed to do this correctly (laughs) however it is that where do we draw the line at i'm taking a principle and where do we fulfill further and so for instance the sabbath actually is a great explanation and a great example sorry because we say if you were to go fully down the line of of principalizing is a word but if it is principalizing the the law and we can go okay so there's the sabbath the principle of that is rest so as long as i kind of do some rest at some point that's okay but or god wants me to rest so that means i will take every day off and I will go and live in a cave because that's what God wants for me. Oh, what a good idea. <laughs> but, but actually we still say, actually, no, we're going to take a day because we think it's important that we set aside that time. God did it. Jesus declares himself the Lord of the Sabbath. And so because of that, we don't just say we're going to have some rest at some time. We say, well, actually, we're going to do it in this way because it's been modeled to us and so we take that ceremonial law maybe slightly further than we do some others and how we decide which is which is an ongoing conversation and scholars will obviously debate for decades and decades yeah i think can you really kind of opened up really well as as to what it means to actually that it's not just a thing to do because it's a good thing it teaches us about god it teaches us to to grow in our relationship with God. And that's the point is that it's not, well, the principle that rest is good is a good principle. And I think it's easy enough to just leave it at that and say, well, we'll do it because rest is good. But as you said, there's so much more to it than that, that it is about how giving your time to to trust in God and learning how to to commit into his hands our work. Mm. And I think for so many of the laws, it is so much, there's almost like that, level of well this makes sense for this reason so we'll just go with it but actually there is so much more to uncover about god and so much more to uncover about how we can learn yeah. to love god and yeah. and learn about ourselves the more layers you can appeal back and i think that's a the really great thing that if you yes. to, when you are reading the scriptures and when you're reading the law in that sense it's easy to just think oh yeah these are all the things and this is what they mean but yeah. it's it's good it can kind of feed your soul in your relationship with God just as much as reading the gospels does or Paul's letters because it is 
just as much about knowing God as it is about what that's people so should and shouldn't do. That's so good. Mm. That's so good, Nay, no, that's so good. I, I, I love what Jesus said about the Sabbath when he said, when they sort of criticised him because his disciples were doing what they defined as work on the Sabbath yeah. and even Jesus healing on the Sabbath. So, um, and Jesus made the point that the Sabbath was made for man, not yeah. man yeah. for the Sabbath. You know, it's created by God for your blessing, yeah. you know. And, and also, which of you would not save an animal mm. on the day and take it to water so that it could live. Because that took saving a life. They mm. have a word for it, of course. But saving a life on the Sabbath was permitted. And so yeah. Jesus is saying, well, what do you think I'm doing yeah. here? I'm <laughs> yeah. saving a life. And you're mm. criticizing this. You're getting stuck on the law here. Mm. You're not seeing the principle of the law. You know, he wasn't saying, don't have a Sabbath. He was saying, actually, it's made for you. And actually, on the Sabbath, saving a life takes precedent over not working. Is it still okay for medical workers to be working on the Sabbath? It's still okay, because they're saving lives, mm. you know. It's still okay. And that's the principle he was trying to get through to them. And um, when he was talking about the wife issue, you know, he, he got over to them that the law was made while, while you had hard hearts. You know, it's making people with hard hearts. And uh, we should be enjoying the principles of the law even more as Christians, mm. because we've got new hearts. Yeah. You know? yeah so actually, it's not for our hard hearts. And what's frightening for me, I'm going to be honest here, what's frightening for me is things like the Beatitudes. When I read what Jesus instituted, let alone Moses, you read that list of what, you know, love your enemies. Someone strikes you on the face, give them the other side of the face. Someone takes your coat, give them your tunic. You know, so actually... Jesus sort of took it even further. Yeah. He made it even more difficult. He yeah. said, actually, it's harder than that. You think that was hard? You know, when you've got a new heart and the spirit of God is working in you and you've got your atonement in Christ and you're made clean, I'm expecting you to be representatives of heaven mm. on earth so that the kingdom comes on earth through you. So we're actually called to a, a higher way of, I call it higher because it's God's, mm. a higher way of living, which is quite frightening because yeah. I think, I, I, I think, oh dear, I'm getting carried away here, aren't I? I think, that, <laughs> I think that we have a tendency in the West to make God in our image. Definitely. It happens in all, we just keep falling into it and we forget that, no, we're meant to be made in God's image, not God in our image. And the law reminds us to think about who God is mm. and not to keep making him in our image. It'll help us enormously if we, if we get it the right way around. <laughs> yeah, it's like I was saying, is that if, as I said, if it's the, the law is given as a, a physical representation of the holiness of God, yeah. we are now meant to be that representation of the yes. holiness of God. Yes. Is that is our calling. And it, it's not that we have to, it's that we wow, yes. get to. Yes, yes. And it doesn't, we've that kind of, barrier of being able to come into God's presence we don't have to cross that because we're already there and yeah. we get and this is what it looks like to live in God's presence not what it looks like to make ourselves worthy of God's presence right. anymore it's about this is how we live as part of as God's people now and how we represent that holiness we have the gift of grace and we have yeah. Yeah. we've done all the 
all the have tos have already done. Now we get to do the get tos. Mm. We get to live out the principles of, of, of the way right. that God wants that's us so to live. Good. I think that's so good, mate. I like that. I like that. I was just thinking about it in terms of an analogy, possibly that might work. I don't know. Tell me if it doesn't. Of like almost like a job in the sense of you get your the job application. And I've had this before where I've seen job applications and I'm just like, oh, I have none of those skills. Okay. Like I have yeah. none of those skills. And even if I was to somehow get the job, I still have to then do the job with those skills. And so that sense of actually, there's the law in the sense of we, the law is meant to point us to grace and say, this is what the holiness of God looks like. This is what it looks like to live in a way that is according to God's law. And then Jesus shows it in a beautiful way in the way he lives, but then also in in bringing the, the great commandments of, yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, which sort of brings all of those things in. If you're doing, if you are living by those two things, all of those other things will naturally follow because they, they mm. just are there by living by love and by faith. However, the law is then, yeah, as you say, it's that life that we live afterwards. It's when we're in the job and we're doing the stuff that's on that job, on that, on that description. And we need the perfect uh, representation of who that is in not just in showing us what to do, but dwelling within us and that's the holy spirit dwelling within us taking us through day by day showing us more and more what are we are to be like and how we can do that in his strength rather than our own hmm. i've really noticed something in worship over the years and i've said this before to other people so it's not a new thing today hmm. but i've really noticed it over the years that when in our worship songs we hit songs about the cross and the accomplishment of christ on the cross everyone's overwhelmed mm. Mm. and the worship just moves to a whole different level of adoration of Christ yeah. and it's because that law's been satisfied mm. in Christ in his life and his death and his resurrection yeah. and we become the beneficiaries of all that Christ accomplished and mm. when we sing the songs on the cross you suddenly get removed from all those things that have gone on in your life that you're asking God about, your requests, your petitions, and you get to the adoration mm. of the very reason why you're even able to stand in his presence. And the, it's a wonderful thing. We get the presence of God in worship, don't yeah. we? Yeah. We really get it. And, and I'll tell you something I find amazing is that people like David in the Old Testament, mm. they got a glimpse of the new covenant and started to enjoy the first fruits of the yeah. a first taste, like the, the first course mm. of the meal of the new covenant. You look at his confession, you know, creating me a pure heart. Mm. You know, I was sinful from my mother's womb. Wash me with hyssop, mm. make me clean, search me, O God, and, and know me. He sometimes, and he kept using this word loving kindness, mm. he just got hold of, of the new covenant through Christ, Christ being the fulfillment of those sacrifices that mm. foreshadowed him, for example. And the Day of Atonement, you know, yeah. When, yeah. Uh, when our sin is, you know, they, they had two goats, they, they prayed over one and, and laid upon it the sins of the nation and sent that goat out into the wilderness. Well, Jesus was crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem. There's a sense in which the sins, our sins, the sins of the world was laid upon him as he was crucified, he who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5 says, became mm. sin for us. Yeah. The reality of that now, yeah. you know, you think, wow, what a wonderful yeah. covenant we live in. And just something that I heard, and it stuck with me for, for years, is 
and talking about kind of grace versus the law and how do we reconcile those as Christians. And it's simply that the law brings us to our knees, whereas grace raises us up to go forward. And before we can step forward into what God has for us, we need to be brought down to our knees in, in seeing who God is and what he's done for us. And then Very we are good. raised up in with the gift of grace to go forward and take what we know of God and what we've learned of us, ourselves and our standing before God to live the life that he's called us to live. And particularly what you're saying about kind of how we worship the cross and the not worship the cross but worship the significance of what the cross means is that if we think of all of these laws that god gave all of these prescriptions of how to of things ceremonies to remember and celebrate and things like that that we don't do anymore because we've got the the bit the best thing that god's ever done if all of these were all celebrations of this is how you worship god remember what he's done for you remember how he brought you out of egypt all of these things about which is a lot of the ceremonial law is just remembering those things but God's done something so much greater than he's ever done before in the cross. And what the cross was is is the ultimate thing that we need to remember because that is the pinnacle of God's love for us and gift for us and goodness. So we worship the cross, not Passover, not any of these other things because that yes. is the best thing that God's That's ever right. done. That's right. And we come yeah. to that and celebrate that as the pinnacle of who God is and how he loves us. That's That's very wonderful, yes. Yes, and it's it's like it's it's very good that it's very good. It's like the cross is the gem, the cross and resurrection is the gem that's set in the in the whole sort of the, the whole of history, and uh, and for us we, the more we look at and consider the nature of God in these ceremonial laws and and uh, who He is behind this nation by reading the Old Testament, the brighter the gem in in the crown isn't it it looks even more beautiful it's good i know some people who are listening might think oh, i find the old testament in the particularly the first five books so hard to yeah. read particularly leviticus well just ask the holy spirit to help you soldier on with that don't leave it out don't drop it because actually it will make your appreciation of christ even greater when you if you are prepared to put the hard work in and look at it, it, if you don't read it, it's like having a book that reaches a glorious conclusion that you're enjoying at the end, but you haven't bothered to read all the chapters that lead to the glorious conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> if you read the, all the chapters that, that lead up to it, you get the context. You see, you you're, know, seeing, yeah. you're seeing the characters have this amazing thing here, but you don't know the story of the characters and why yeah. you care about them in the first place. And, and just remember yeah. when you meet Jesus, he was Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. English. Because <laughs> that will actually help you to think, I need to appreciate this Bible because it is Jesus' Bible. Yeah, it's something I yeah. think when you look at, I, I've heard it, uh, someone say once, you know, read through read through Hebrews and then oh, read through yeah. I was gonna the law. Hebrews, yes, in the sense yes. of if you look at, when you read through Hebrews and the picture of Jesus as sacrifice, as high priest, as yes. the fulfillment of all the rites and ceremonies and sacrifices ever needed for pure living. Uh, and the and judge then, is coming. And the ju- yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you look and then look back at the law and there is a beauty yeah. that is just, yeah, I, I think you're, it's As such a say, connectedness yeah, isn't there between it all. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if this is would be as specific. It seems like it's right, but tell me if I'm wrong. Is that if Jesus is without sin, then Jesus perfectly fulfilled everything that it says in the law that we should be doing. Yeah. Like, if you think I can, like, 
one chapter is enough things that I could probably never remember to actually do if I had to. Like, and then there's just pages and pages and pages and pages <laughs> of all the stuff that Jesus did because he kept it. Yeah. And I think that's crazy. Like, I think it's hard enough to read it, let alone remember to live that out right. in your everyday life. Right. Right. But actually it reminds me of like, when we say that Jesus was sinless and lived a perfect life, it means he perfectly kept to all of those things that mm. we yeah. can't even, I yeah. can't even bring myself to read through, let alone do and I think it just brings that in brings me to worship Jesus in the fact that he was fully man yet fully perfect and fully God mm-hmm. so that he could do all the things that we couldn't do and he could do that perfectly while living a life of on earth like we do and having temptations and and Amazing. it just it mm. yeah I think we it's easy to think of Jesus in his godliness but also the fact that he was still a man that lived a life and still then was perfect mm. just blows my mind a little and, bit and, yes. he, and and also for in terms of i think for those and to a certain extent it's growing in the uk um the idea of what does it look like to live according to god's law when culture does not live according to God's law. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we all know people and, and who live and, you know, mean can visit places where there is very cultural restrictions on, on living for Jesus in those areas and living according to the freedom that God's given you and living by those ones. But you also remember that actually Jesus didn't live in the theocracy of Israel in the time of right. the Old Testament. You know, he lived mm. under the restriction of Roman law, the temple that was there um was not the temple that no. was given with temple the presence of, of god it was herod's temple it was a symbol of roman occupation it was a symbol um and next to herod's next to the temple was herod's palace which was you know four or five times the size took lots more jesus not only perfectly fulfills the law he does it when it's not easy to do so yes. and I'm not saying that in a way to be like, let, so we should all feel worse about ourselves. But no, actually, Jesus no. knows what it's like to live through a life where it's not easy to live for, I was about to say, live for a life that's for God. But obviously he is God. So it's a bit of a strange one. But Life of God. Life of God. He, you know, And mm. there would have been many Jews at that time who would not have lived because they would have gone, well, we're under Roman occupation. It's a different time. We don't need to do these things anymore. Mm. Almost like sometimes we do with... Old Testament law, we go, oh, well, we don't need it anymore. But actually Jesus perfectly fulfills and encapsulates those and goes above and beyond. And because of that, it's just so beautiful to follow him and to try and, uh, through the Holy Spirit, be more like him. When, when Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment, mm. he answered with something called the Shema, which is something which even today a true committed Judaistic a Jew quotes every day. And I'll just read it to you. It's in Deuteronomy. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals, as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorsteps of your house and on your gates. Mm. And Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? Mm. And he, he captured the whole Jewish audience, mm. which is what he had. 
by saying the thing that they say every day. Yeah. yeah. Love the Lord your God <laughs> with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your yeah. strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. Mm. I mean, I, was, I think they erupted at that point and thought, wow, this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's God, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm about. You know, there's one God. You don't need all these other gods. Mm. There's one God, and he's the Lord, which... Capital L, capital R, capital R, yeah. capital D means it's saying his whole character, his whole nature, not just that he's master, but who he is, his, yeah. his very character, and to love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And then to remember your neighbor and to love them in, in the same breath. You think, what an answer yeah. that was, wasn't it? So that's why Jesus could say that nothing should, you know, he goes on after the Beatitudes to say that anyone who teaches anything different to this law, you know, it's going to be bad news for them on the day of judgment because he's just summed it up so beautifully in, the, in those words. Amazing, isn't it? Incredible. Mm. Yeah. Perfect. I think we're probably going to draw to a, a close at this point, but is there anything else that either of you would like to just bring that you're like, actually, I, I wish I'd said that. It could be about, you know, Jesus fulfilling those in the new covenant or something that maybe we've we've missed out. Anything you think we've missed? No, that's I, fine. Th- th- there was one thing I wanted to yeah. correct that I said. Okay. I remembered yeah. I said that, um, and this is going to be very controversial now, this will give you some nice phone calls, Owen. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I said that the that Israel were God's chosen people. I got that wrong. Israel are God's chosen people. (laughs) There you go. As we are too, of course. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. That should get the mails coming in. (laughs) And maybe there's probably another day where we can expand that a little bit further in terms of that conversation. I I pray for them every week. Yeah. 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 That they will see what all the things they're doing mean. Mm. And that, and yeah. that, yeah, that their fulfilment will come in Christ. Because yeah. they won't get saved through the law. No. But the law can lead them to see Jesus was the Messiah. Yeah. No, Paul says yeah. that those who will be judged by the law will come under the law. And yeah. those who are judged without the law will also be judged. Yeah. And so, yeah, they're both are yeah. there and there is judgment only for found in Christ. But no, I completely. The only thing I was going to say is that you mentioned before about how kind of it, the law was given almost progressively in response to the people and Mm. the journey with God and I think that's a really important thing to remember as well it's when we think about the fact that we are still on that journey and it wasn't just the journey for them to get to becoming the nation that God made them it was the journey all that's continuing into us as the people of God today and to Christ and it being that there was like things didn't like change as the as the law was given so first it says that you know the firstborn at Passover should be consecrated the Lord and then it was well actually the Levites because of the sinfulness of the people and the Levites didn't worship the golden calf so God changed almost took them what he said before it was it would be the firstborn and then it was well no it will be this the tribe of Levi that will be Mm. the representation of um the service to God and they will be the people and that kind of ongoing God said this and then in response to the people's sinfulness he gave this command and then mm. in response to this all the way up to it then led up to Jesus being and this is the the full response to what it meant and this is God's final beginning end of all the the law and the expectations of people's living is it came to a head in Jesus that so I think where people might assume well no, God said this once why should we change what God has already said but actually God changes in response to people anyway and just as it changed from 
the firstborn to the Levites, to people of God, it can change. It changes from not just sacrifices and offerings to but changes to jesus being that mm. offering does that make sense yeah no, and god yeah. brings that development in yeah. response yeah no i completely get what you mean yeah. in terms of yeah. yeah not that i know you you mean not that god changes but he yeah. the way that he reacts and responds with his people changes depending on those those situations and it is an ongoing growing thing as in the same way as you see with covenant, you know, it starts in a covenant with Noah and his family, it's Abraham and his family, it keeps growing, you know, the Davidic covenant, uh, they all, and then the the new covenant with Jesus, it's like ripples in a pond. And in the same way it is with, with the law as he sculpts and he creates that beautiful artwork almost from it over time, even including our inadequacies. Mm. Yeah. I think it's just a, one of the kind of questions that people raise is often as well why did god say this one time and then say a different thing a different time that actually yes. we need to acknowledge that he never said this is what's going to be the one thing that is never going to change mm. is that he's always been a relational god always on that journey yeah i think that's a really important thing to remember mm. and so when jesus brings in in when jesus speaks in things and takes them further that's why we take what jesus yeah, says exactly. because that's God's always done that. He's always taken his people on that journey. And this is what he says to his people in this in this season, in this new covenant. Oh, I think it's amazing. I mean, Jesus is so amazing. That's an understatement, isn't it? Because uh, he's the, you know, he's the, he's the high priest mm. uh, and he's the sacrifice mm. yeah. <laughs> and he's the better than new covenant. Yeah. You know, and um, like John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes, takes away, away the, the sin of the world. world. What a statement Beautiful. from John yeah. the Baptist. What a guy he was, wasn't he? Yeah. He saw that that development, you know, right up. Mm. Ah, this is the this is the development of the whole yeah. argument here. Here's the Lamb of God mm. who takes away the sin of the world. You yeah. know, so yeah. it goes all the way to yeah. That bookending of, of from Genesis to Revelation, it's that yes. same thing. Yes. It's the same one that's always been there. It's the same lamb, it's the same um, yeah sacrifice that's always been needed i really just love the, the kind of way that god bookends yes in that is. way yeah yeah, yeah. Well, he, he is perfect in all mm. that he does and mm. and and he knows and he is because of his sovereignty that is is just that beautiful way that we get to go on that journey with him and he takes mm. us with him every step Very good. Um, yes amazing guys thank you for being on the podcast it's been great and hopefully if you've been listening in you've really enjoyed it as well if you have any questions then please feel free to send them in uh, to to send them in we'd love to chat (laughs) further but no thank you so much for coming guys thank you thank you thank you thank you Nate.